Hello and welcome to the South American Football Show on the World Football Index. In this week's episode, we will be looking at the eight first leg ties of the second round of the 2018 Copper Libertadores. Joining me, as always, are two of the best South American football experts in the business. First up, an inspiration to many on Twitter, it seems, Mr. Simon Edwards. How are you and how is Colombia? Ah, uh, wow, nice, nice introduction, very generous. Uh, I'm good, Colombia's good, Colombia's hot at the moment, which is quite nice. So busy, lots of football, lots of playing football, lots of watching football, and lots of Copa Libertadores, so all is good. How is how is Chile? Yeah, all, all good here, thanks. It's been pretty hot and sweaty in Arica this week, but yeah, enjoying the sunshine. One man who probably isn't enjoying much sunshine at the moment is Austin Miller in Chicago, USA. How are you, Austin? I'm doing well. I'm pleased to be called one of the best in the business. I think that's one of the best compliments I've ever gotten on this podcast, so I'll take it. Yeah, we see the sun here sometimes, but it, it doesn't seem to have much of an effect uh, below freezing again here today, so quite chilly indeed. I've, I've decided to try and boost your confidence a little bit before this podcast. Yeah, I've got a little pep in my step. That's a pretty <laughs> talk, I feel like. I don't know, maybe we should we should add those to our pre-pod discussions here. Just a little, you know, a little team talk, go over the tactics of the podcast, and then, hey, you guys are the best in the business, you know, let's go do it. I, yeah, I'm, I'm in, pre, I'm, I'm ready. The pre-match habit. Anyway, but yeah, let's get started with, well, probably a shock bigger than Leicester winning the Premier League a couple of years ago. And that's the match in Venezuela that we witnessed tonight uh, between Tachara and and Santa Fe. I think we all predicted a very sort of tight match with very few goals. And in the end, we got a five-goal thriller um, with WFI anti-favourites, if that's a phrase. I'm not sure, actually. I just made that up. But uh, Santa Fe running out 3-2 winners. Simon? Take it away. Yeah, so at the last week's pod, I said, don't bet on three plus goals. It's not going to happen. Um, it, it did happen within 30 minutes. So there you go. I think I lost some World Football Index uh, listeners some money <laughs> with that prediction. I know I know Rick, who, who contributes to the website, uh, lost some money. So sorry about that. Uh, but it was not what we expected. Um, I mean, in terms of, I mean, the biggest surprise was how poor these teams were in defence um, I, I didn't have massively high hopes for Tachira uh, I thought they were quite limited but I expected some kind of organisation and with Santa Fe, again usually what we can expect is you know, some organisation seeing out the game, managing the game fairly well and then hoping for the best and, and often taking one or two chances and, and that being enough to do you know, get, get fairly far in the competition this game was all over the place it was not a good advertisement for South American defending. Um, the finishing was, was decent, but yeah, very, very interesting. So Santa Fe took a very, very early lead. Uh, ball was crossed in and uh, Wilson Morello just put it on top of the net. So it gave them an early lead and it was like, oh, okay, so Santa Fe, good start. They'll probably see this one out. And then two minutes later, uh, Manuel uh, Granados scored a goal. Again, poor, poor, poor defending. Um, the He got behind... Juan David Valencia, who's a player I've not been a fan of particularly. Uh, I think he's very good at free kicks. He's fast and he's athletic, but I don't think he's the greatest defender. And he was out of position for this goal. A little slip through ball uh, inside of the fullback. And, you know, that kind of makes it sound better than it actually was. It was quite straightforward. And then a decent finish under the, the goalkeeper, Sabata. So one all very, very early. Um, 
Tachira then took the the lead. Again, some some poor defending. It was you know a really poor game in terms of defensive work. Uh, a long ball crossed in, completely missed by I think it was Tesillo, headed down and volleyed into the net by uh, Sergio Almiron, put them two one up. Again, five six minutes later, a goal for Santa Fe, a, a clearance from Tachira, an overhead kick, and then there was six Santa Fe players for on goal. They completely messed up the offside trap. A volley was missed, crossed uh, by Betancourt, and then tucked in again by uh, under this by by Tessidio, who made up for his mistake. Eight later in the game to make it three-two, Santa Fe uh, got a penalty. A very dodgy uh, defensive display again by this time it was Vargas for Tejeda. Looking at the ball, ran with his foot above his head, <laughs> um, took out Betancourt right in the face with a with a boot. Uh, penalty for Santa Fe, tidily dispatched by Morello, who had a good game. And that was that. I mean, in terms of Santa Fe, the two strikers had a good game, really, for Santa Fe. We, we spoke about Betancourt and how he was the big high-profile signing, but he really was quite impressive. Did some good work, good movement, quite sharp. Up front with Morello, who was who was decent. Tachira, again, they, they weren't too bad. They were They were quite good, but... Again, they were really gifted the goals from Santa Fe. Santa Fe were much more organised, much more solid in the second half, and they and they did see the game out eventually. They eventually kind of put their foot on it and kind of had a bit more control. So a very, a very surprisingly open game. Um, I just a thirty minutes of madness from both teams, where the the defence looked shambolic from both sides. So yeah, basically uh, a crazy game. Uh, Austin, what were your thoughts on this one? Uh, it was exactly what I expected if you were to listen to the podcast last week. I said 4-3. I know I was a couple goals short. No. Uh, this went against everything we thought that this match would be, which I guess the Copa Libertadores tends to do from time to time. Um, the second goal for Morello was, was kind of symptomatic of this match. Won the penalty, as you said, Simon. And then, yeah, it was tightly dispatched on the second attempt after the, the goalkeeper for Tachita made the save straight back to him, and he just kind of tapped home. By far the worst kind of goals to score when a, your penalty is stopped, and it's just like, oh, uh, I guess the net's still open, and he scores it. Uh, this match was all over the place is kind of my takeaway from it. Um, not what I expected from Santa Fe. I don't think Tachita are, are very good, but that you know didn't this didn't change my opinion of that. I think they took advantage of, as you said, Simon, some shoddy defending to get some goals, but it's hard to see them getting back in this match. I think you'll see fairly typical Santa Fe in the second leg. They have an advantage. They have to lose by two or give up three uh, to go out, and I don't think that's going to happen in this second leg. So I would see something, you know, one nil or nil nil to kind of close this tie out. Not sure how far I can see Santa Fe getting in this competition, uh, but I thought they did well to bounce back after they went 2-1 down. Yeah, no, definitely. I, I would agree. They're just, I mean, the main thing is the defensive work. So much of what they do is based upon organization and defensive discipline, and none of that was there in this play. Again, as you say, to cheer the side, that they scored one fortunate goal in the previous two games, uh, and they <laughs> made the two goals they scored look relatively easy in this game. I, you know, I think if Santa Fe come up against a better team, they're really going to have to be the Santa Fe of old and be much more solid. Otherwise, they're going to be in big, big trouble. But again, overall, a good result for them. But there are lots of concerning signs, given that they conceded two against a relatively poor side. Um, and and the they defending were relatively, yeah. to lead to that penalty was just absurd. He just was walking around with his foot in the air. Like, okay, <laughs> sure, why not? Like, yeah, that's the way to win the ball in your own penalty box. 
<laughs> you just stick your foot as high as possible and hope the ball hits it. Oh, I guess I hit him in the head. Like, oh, it was terrible. What do you think? Exactly. There's there's so many poor things in this game. And Santa Fe have been competitive in past Libertadores, but a lot of that has been organization. They're going to have to really up their game in that regard because they were shambolic and they're not good enough to be able to maintain that against stronger opposition. They don't going to score enough goals. They're not going to be creative enough in midfield to be able to not have that strong base. So lots of work to be done. Again, it's very early in the Colombian season. They haven't played any league games yet, but they're going to have to get on the training ground and, and sort some of this out and, and get themselves organized because con- some concerning signs conceding two in the first 20 minutes against this Tajira side. Do you, do you think they're safe though for the second leg? Uh, I think so. I think so. Uh, the way they played in the second half, again, wasn't overly convincing, but I think they were comfortable um, and I think at home, you know, th- without the enthusiasm of the, the home fans with this year, I think uh, it should be a more polished professional display. Uh, I can still, I do quite like the pairing up front as well of Morello and Betancourt. I can see a lot of movement there. So I think if Tashira have to push for the winning goal uh, and get some goals away from home, I think it's going to leave them open. And I think uh, Santa Fe have enough to punish them. Um, there's, there's, you know, they have a, two good forwards. Uh, Bajoy is is decent behind. Roa is pretty good, so they have they have enough there to make one or two chances. They put one of them away, and the tie's done. And I think they should be better, more organised, more disciplined. Back in Bogota, back at home uh, in, in the second leg. Well, yeah, I, I kind of regret purposely scheduling a class now to clash with this game. <laughs> uh, that's how convinced I was it was going to be nil nil. One game I did want to see, however, and certainly didn't want to clash with any work, was Oriente Petrolero against Wilsterman. Um, all Bolivian affair. And Petrolero, for the second week running, has produced you know, a pretty entertaining match for us, I thought. Um, we saw another good centre-forward performance from Freitas. A bit greedy at times, which makes me think that maybe a lot of the views uh, to the Twitter video were perhaps his, and uh, the fame's gone through his head a bit. But um, generally, yeah, I've, I felt that Petrolero were the better team in this game, but they have ended up losing it 2-1. The story of the match, well, Wilsterman got off to the better start, in my opinion, but Petrolero, as they did in their two games against Universitario in the previous round, they seemed to grow into it quite well. And um, Wilsman had a couple of chances before the home side settled, but once they did settle Petrolero, the goal came. And um, and it was a few minutes before the break, and it featured some excellent play from the uh, aforementioned um, Freitas in, 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 in the build-up. Um, El Tanque, of course, his nickname. He left King Eddie Centeno for dead. Simon's favourite. Uh, and I have to say here that Eddie turned like an oil tanker, while Freitas turned like the FV-101 Scorpion CBR, which off the top of my head, I, I, <laughs> I happen to know that that's the fastest tanker in the business. Um, he, he squared it, the keeper blocked the first effort, and it rebounded out to Carlos Añez, who fired home. Uh, no jumping in the car celebrations this time around, unfortunately, from the Santa Cruz side. Um, after that, we did have a couple of flashpoints uh, with Wilsterman players going in hard on their hosts. But the referee, he was very erratic all night. Didn't seem particularly consistent with the cards that he was dishing out. And by the end of the game, he was handing out cards like it was Christmas. 
and yeah, it was it, it was it was an odd game, spoilt by the referee. I thought um, just before half time, Wilsman could have levelled, took a good save from Zamora. I think it is in the in the Petrolera goal to to keep it one 0 Petrolera also had a chance just before half time, started with uh, Ali Meza um, on the counter. It was a lovely move actually, and the shot ended up being deflected wide. And if that had gone in, I think. Petrolero would have won this game comfortably, but in the end, they uh, they got a red card. They conceded a penalty, though for me it was never a penalty. Um, and Wilsterman got themselves back in the game, and then right at the death, um, a Brazilian, I think it was, no, Austin, Serginho, uh, won it with a fine strike from the edge of the box. What did you make of it? Yeah, uh, Wilsterman are pretty fun because they have a couple of really, really kind of low-level Brazilian players, like state league quality players, who just decided, you know what, I'm going to go play in the Libertadores for Jorge Wilsterman, uh, Serginho being one of them, Lucas Gaúcho, the man who scored the, the first goal, so a pair of Brazilians on the score sheet for Wilsterman tonight. He has one of the most intriguing club pads of any player I've seen in the Libertadores. The places that he's played over the past couple of years, he's been in Israel, Japan, Lithuania, Vietnam, and Thailand, and then before that, Brazil. That's pretty impressive. Um, yeah, I was surprised to see Wilsterman come back in this match because it really felt like Petrolero were, were the better side, like you said, Adam, and that they were going to be the side that won it. And then next thing you know, it's it's Jorge Wilsterman who are 2-1 winners. A shame to see King Eddie get sent off. That means he won't be in the second leg. If they do advance, we'll still see more of them in this competition. And I think I'd favor them to advance now because of this bounce back that they had. That's a massive, massive goal from Serginho to give them the advantage going into that second leg. I think I would give Wilsterman the edge. For you, Adam, do you agree with that? Or, or do you see Petrolero getting back in this? Yeah, I wouldn't completely rule Petrolero out. I know Wilsterman were very strong last year. But as I mentioned, uh, Wilsterman were very strong last year at home, should I say. Um Although I did mention last week on the podcast, I don't think that home advantage will be so key um, against another Bolivian side who will know you know the conditions well. Um, I think it's worth pointing out that a couple of uh, key players for Oriente Petrolero will be back next week um, because they were suspended for this. Paolo Rosales, their number 10, returns for Petrolero next week and uh, the Bolivian international Yasmani Duk. He, he also returns. So, and with King Eddie out for, for the side from Cochabamba, Wilsterman, um, maybe we will see a turnaround still with, without King Eddie to organise things at the back there. Simon, how do you see it? Yeah, no, you know, I think, I think um, my man King Eddie will be missed. And I do love how we've seamlessly just adopted that name, which we completely invented, as if it's something is there, is there that any other Is there any other thing we could call him? Well, I, I'm not saying he doesn't deserve the the the, the monarch the monarch moniker, um, but it is a it is a strange one. But hey, I'm, I'm all in favour. It may have come from me in, in the first place. But yeah, King Eddie will be a big miss. Um, it'll be interesting to see uh, two Bolivian sides that know each other well. A, a tough a tough combative game. Um, you know, lots of fun. It'll be interesting to see what happens in the second leg. Okay, well, let's move on. Um to the other game we've just witnessed tonight, and that was Olympia of Paraguay against against Junior of Colombia. And I didn't see this as I was watching the, the All-Bolivian affair at the same time, uh, but I do believe that Roque Santa Cruz was the hero. Um, and yes, that is the same Roque Santa Cruz who 
used to play for Blackburn Rovers, amongst other teams in Europe. He was the hero for Paraguayan side as they, as they took a 1-0 lead to, to Colombia. Uh, Simon, tell me more. Yeah, no, well, I mean, Rocky Santa Cruz scored the goal, but there was a real standout player who was honestly head and shoulders above everyone else on the pitch. Uh, was Mauricio Cuero, who's who is actually a Colombian, um, has played played in Europe. Was at Levante, played a played a few games there in 2016. Went to Santos Laguna, then Club Tijuana, and now Olympia. A 25 year old winger, he was incredible. He he was completely destroying the junior fullback. He's actually an ex Envigado man, so I did feel a bit bad for him. Um, Jonathan uh, Murillo, a uh, fullback, but Cuero is, is so quick. There were a number of times where he was running at the defender, kicked it around to the right, and then ran a really long way around to the left and still got there in time. And Morillo is a pretty quick attacking kind of fullback. He's quick and strong, but Cuero just absolutely dominated him. He was really the difference in the game. Um, Junior had some chances. They were missing some key, key men, um, which I think did limit them going forward. They had Jimmy Tara, who's an excellent player. And I also thought Victor Candijo was very good. A kind of creative midfielder was was making things happen in the middle for for Junior, but those two aside, they were missing Jonathan uh, Alves, who played last year in the competition with Barcelona uh, up front, and they had in place his place uh, Luis Carlos Ruiz, who uh, I'm not a fan of. I think he's pretty poor. Uh, I was surprised they bought him, but again, it was obviously for this situation where they have nobody else. Um, he didn't really look like he was ever going to score a goal. Um, and they were also missing Teofilo Gutierrez, who, again, Colombian international, real quality, smart, experienced goal scorer. So those were two big misses alongside Alberto Rodriguez, the Peruvian international defender, another big miss. That said, it was a fairly even game. Um, Junior maybe even had a few more chances, but I think Olympia looked much more incisive and much more energetic uh, for much of their game. They could have had a couple more, you know, there could have been more goals in this game. In terms of quality, comparing the Tachira uh, Santa Fe game with the Olympia Junior game, it's like a different sport. This was far much, much, much more quality. The stadium was packed, the really nice Olympia white shirt with the black strip across the front, uh, the, the black horizontal line, uh, the packed crowd with the white, the white shirts. It was a real good atmosphere. A good quality game. Um, there could have been a couple more goals either either way. Um, I think Junior won't be too disappointed. I, I, there was a point in the second half where they were putting on some more pressure. A lot of things were coming through uh, Jimmy Chada. He wasn't quite as incisive as he can be. And I do think they were really lacking a goal scorer in the box to, to make the difference and, and really convert some of those half chances or, or those, those good positions. Um, but I think hopefully we'll see better from Junior at home. They can't be too disappointed. This is a very difficult way away tie. Um, the Paraguayans were, were were good. They were energetic. They were combative. They were really into this game, and the crowd were fully behind them. So, to come away from a difficult away tie, losing one nil, I think I think it's okay for Junior. They'll have to do better at home. They'll have to be more incisive, and they're going to have to hope that some of these players are back. Um, Ustic, eh, Alvarez, or Alvarez, or or. Teofilo Gutierrez in that team and I think maybe they they pick up a goal and, and it's a different story so a good quality game um, for uh, you know we're talking about the early qualifying rounds and in, there's a very comparable you know there's a big difference in some of the quality in some of these games but this is definitely one I think that, that did live up to some expectations in terms of quality albeit you know only a 1-0 win and, and not too many goals but 
yeah, a decent quality game, good atmosphere, and I think it'll be very well balanced for the second leg in Colombia. Yeah, I've got a funny feeling that this one might go to penalties. Um, but yeah, but, but let's see. Austin, you wanted to say something before I move on? Yeah, yeah, I, I enjoyed this match as well. Uh, I thought, it, like Simon said, it was played at a very high level. Junior were probably a, a bit unfortunate in that second half. I thought Aguilar, the, the keeper for Olympia, played really well and, and made a couple of pretty fine saves to keep this match 1-0. I'm really intrigued to see how Olympia approach this second leg and whether they decide to, to kind of just sit back and hang on to what they have from the first leg or whether they're a bit more you know, they take those risks and, and go and try and kill this off because obviously the, a goal from Olympia would mean that Junior would need to score three and that would really put the pressure on this really talented Colombian side. Uh, our good friend Carl Warswick, the reporter in Colombia, said that it looks like Teo Gutierrez will be back next week. I believe, Simon, that Jonathan Alves still has one more match on that Libertadores suspension he's still serving, so they won't get him back for this next match. But if they do uh, advance to the final playoff round, it looks like they should have Alves, should they so desire. Um, I'm with you, Adam. I think this, this one's pretty finely poised, and 1-0 doesn't feel like that surprising of a scoreline. I don't think Junior will leave Roque Santa Cruz completely unmarked in the six-yard box like they did in this match. That's what led to the only goal. It's kind of hard to see Olympia scoring, but I think they should have enough defensively to at least get this match to penalties and maybe even take it nil-nil and advance straight out. Really interesting because this is a big, big test for this junior side that, as we've talked about, just has so much attacking talent. Okay, moving on to a rather depressing Wednesday night from a Chilean perspective. Um, and that was because Universidad de Concepcion lost 4-0 at home to Vasco da Gama, a team that, Austin, you promised me that they were bang average. Did this change your mind about them being bang average? Because I, I don't know that that is yeah. the takeaway from this match. <laughs> well, no, exactly. I, I think amateur goalkeeping, poor refereeing and bad finishing means this tie is all over already, really, doesn't it? Yeah, I, to be honest, I, I ended up being invited to play football last night, so I missed it live. I watched a rerun of it today. It, it was kind of odd watching it back, knowing the scoreline, um, because I, I didn't think there was so much like between the two sides. For me, the 4-0 scoreline certainly flattered uh, the Brazilians, um, and Vasco did get lucky with two big decisions in that first half, which could have changed this the, the complexion of this tie um, a bit. Maybe maybe not totally, but a bit. But yeah, but yeah. overall, you probably have to give credit for, to the Brazilians for kind of maximising their opportunity in this one on a night where a lot went for them. But yeah, it, it, there was some diabolical goalkeeping, uh, especially on the, on the second and third goal. Although on that second goal, you know, it was handball uh, before before the shot came in. And at 2-0, Concepcion had a goal disallowed, which looked onside to me, looked level. It, it, it could have, it, the complexion of this side could have been different if, if a couple of decisions had gone for the Chileans. But yeah, 4-0 still says a lot about uh, the quality of finishing, I think, between the between these two sides as much as anything because there were some decent performances in that Concepcion side in attack. I thought Pedro Mandat Morales, uh, the number 10 for Concepcion, he had a decent game. Uh, but yeah, it was, it, it, was, it was just poor finishing and poor goalkeeping, I think, was the Achilles heel 
for for four Universidad Concepcion in this one, no, Austin? Yeah, I, I agree with you that four nil maybe doesn't represent the the overall performances of these two sides, but in a weird way, it also doesn't feel terribly unfair because of just how poor Concepcion were defending. Um, the first goal for Vasco, I think they deserve a lot of credit for. Three minutes in, some really nice interplay. Uh, and then Paulinho for Vasco da Gama, a 17-year-old player. Yeah, it was a very classy goal. Yeah, yeah. Me, I, I think he's a, he's a young name to, to keep an eye on. If Vasco continued to move on in this competition, I think he's somebody who could, who could certainly catch the eyes of, of a lot of talent evaluators over in Europe. A, a really, really nice back heel to Ivander, who, who finished it really cleanly. So, boom, three minutes in, Vasco are 1-0 up. And, and that certainly, to me, felt deserved um, on the, the skill of that play. And then, yeah, Concepcion were, were simultaneously unfortunate and also just really poor for that second goal. Munoz, the goalkeeper, was 35 yards off his line, kind of half-heartedly kicked the ball, and, and it went right off the arms of, I believe it was Andres Rios in that situation. And it looked like a clear handball to me, and it wasn't called by the official. It fell to Ivander, who did well to kind of take his time and then pick up his brace after tapping, you know, just kind of sending it towards an empty net. And then it was 2-0. Uh, Concepcion were probably a bit unfortunate on that one. It was, it was kind of amusing how the ball seemed to sort of just ghost through Munez, the, the goalkeeper, yeah. <laughs> as well. I know, I know it was because he like moved his hands out in panic that he was going to get sent off if he, if he saved it. But it, it, it was like this weird visual image of like the ball. It did look like it almost like went right through his body. It was, yeah, it was, it was just a weird all-around play on so many levels. And then I thought at 2-0 that Concepcion weren't terrible. I thought they created some chances. They forced Martin Silva, the Vasco goalkeeper, to make some saves. Vasco could have made it 3-0. Ivander could have had a hat trick, and he just completely missed the target from about four yards out, which was embarrassingly poor. So this match was was 2-0 with, with 78 minutes played, and Concepcion hadn't looked terrible. It didn't feel like they were going to get back in the tie, but they weren't completely out of it. And then just boom, just like that, this tie got sealed. Um, Yago Pikachu, the wonderfully named uh, fullback for Vasco da Gama, made it 3-0 thanks to some really poor goalkeeping again from Munoz. And then Hildo, who had come off the bench, added the fourth to just completely put a bow on this. And so now Vasco, who I still am not convinced are a particularly good side, but as you said, Adam, they took advantage of their opportunities, and I think they deserve some credit for that. They're four 0 up, and, and they're into the next round, barring a complete collapse, which is it's really hard. You know, it's incredibly difficult to see that happening for them back in Rio. And and then in that you know that final playoff round, they'll be lined up against one of either Petroleto or Wilsterman. Certainly a tie that they could win. I think we could get to a point in this competition where, you know, a couple months from now, we look at Vasco kind of in the way that we looked at, at both both Fogo and Atletico Paranaense last year, two Brazilian sides kind of punched above their weight. Um, their performances were more than kind of collective sum of their parts. I think we could see that with Vasco um, as this competition goes on. Uh, they got kind of fortunate in their draw, and they're one step closer to making the group stage, which I think would be a, a pretty decent accomplishment for this side, given how much they lost uh, during the January transfer window. Simon, I know that you were in Santiago a few weeks ago and a certain Uber driver uh, told you that there was nothing 
to worry about in the future of Chilean football. Now, I believe that you watched this game. Who do you believe now? The, the Uber <laughs> driver or me? <laughs> no, you see, the thing is, you think is, uh, he was very clear that the only good Chilean players play for Colo Colo. So this has no bearing on that whatsoever. <laughs> so we have to we have to wait for to see all the real Chilean talent coming in the group stage. Well, I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll be at that game. Colo Colo's <laughs> opening game, which is against Atletico Nacional in uh, Monumental in Santiago. Uh, I'm going to be in Santiago for that, and I'll be heading to it. So uh, maybe I can give you, Lucky sort of you. A, a, li- a live report. Absolutely. Well, I mean, make a list of all the all of the future world superstars on show. Oh, maybe uh, I in can this do game, that on Twitter. Absolutely. Hey, that's a good idea. Maybe a, a scouting list or something. Yeah, that sounds good. You call it scouting um, spotlight. Scouting spotlight. That's a good name. That's, that's a good idea. Go for it. Um, in this game, uh, for me, the biggest difference. You've covered most of it, but basically, the biggest difference was it was easy for Vasco to score, and it was less easy for Concepcion to score. Um, they just, yeah, some shambolic defending. A real shame because as soon as it went to 2-0, as you mentioned, then Concepcion actually looked quite good after me thinking first 10 minutes they were terrible. They kind of looked quite good. But again, it was sloppy, sloppy defending, poor goalkeeping. There could have been a few more for Vasco. And you know, as, as much as uh, Concepcion worked and moved it and put some crosses in, got some headers, got some chances... It, it always looked as though they were going to have to do something special to score, whereas Vasco just had to get a couple of players forward and, and they had always you know, a good chance of opening opening up, opening up the kind of dodgy defending of uh, the Chileans in this game. So, yeah, they're not going to have a fun time going to Brazil. Um, 4-0 down, it feels like tie over. Um, and, yeah, not, not ideal for a, for a long trip away to Brazil um, going 4-0 down in the first leg uh, at home. Could see a couple of couple of players pick up knocks in training. I think between now and Wednesday. Uh, ah, guess I can't make the trip to Rio. I'll sit this one out. See you guys next weekend, right? Well, I think maybe the ideal situation would be to arrive in Rio and then notice a twinge on the plane and just go off to the beach for a couple of days. That might that might be a good option. Yeah, definitely. Um, okay. Next up, we have Chapecoense nil, Nacional one. That's Nacional of Uruguay, of course. Um, I think. This was a bit of a surprise to some. Certainly anybody who saw any of the footage from the Euro- Uruguayan Supercopa final against Peñarol last week, where they, got, where they got completely outplayed and they looked in disarray, to be honest. Uh, but Austin, you know, you did pick Chapecoense as probably a weakest Brazilian side in this competition. And it looks like it probably is that way, as they're probably going to be the first team to exit from Brazil. Yeah, this was a really tight match, um, kind of exactly as, as we expected it to go. For the first, you know, 70 minutes of this match, it really didn't look like either team was particularly interested in possessing the ball. And that kind of speaks to how they both like to play. Um, you know, Chapecoense and Nacional, when they were successful in last year's Libertadores and Chapecoense, when they were successful in the Brazilian down last year, it was because they you know, would sit back, they'd play within themselves, and then they'd counter, and they'd counter very well. Um, but they're not a team that can take the ball and, and dominate a game. Uh, Nacional really aren't either. And and that led to what was, frankly, some, some pretty poor football. Uh, this match was, I think, outside of the Carabobo match, which we'll get to in a little bit, which I also had the fortune of, of watching. Um, 
probably the the not the lowest quality necessarily, but there just wasn't that much that happened. Uh, and then in the 75th minute, Nacional got an absolutely vital goal. Uh, the ball was struck low across the area, and Romero was there to, to kind of sweep it home. That made it 1-0 for Nacional. That's a huge away goal. That's a huge advantage that they'll take with them to Montevideo, where if you thought that they kind of didn't want the ball in the first leg, I think they'll want it even less in the second leg. And they'll be content to, to force Chape Quincy to try to break them down. I don't think Chape have that player who can who can break down a defense like that. So now we'll have, I just don't think that midfield is in the squad. You know, Madsen, Lucas Mineiro, uh, Marcio Araujo, they're all average players, really. And there's not that playmaking midfielder, which is probably what Chape need. Um, Hector Canteros, their Argentine kind of defensive midfielder, but he, he can play as a playmaker if needed. He's been hurt. We'll see if he can return for the second leg. I think he would be a, a big get for them to get back. Uh, and then after the goal, this kind of turned into your, your typical national match. You know, they, they were a goal in front, and then they got a red card, and they time-wasted, and then they go to Chapecoense into a pair of red cards. And so you, you get a national match in Libertadores that has three red cards and one goal and plenty of time-wasting. And that's exactly what they're looking for. That's the recipe that they've used to their success in the past, and, and there's no reason to change it now. Uh, Chapecoense will not be pleased about those two red cards. Um, Perotti and Eduardo, who both came off the bench, uh, obviously won't be available for this second leg. Just kind of silliness, really, overall. They just got kind of goaded into it by Nacional. Just doing what Nacional does, which is get under your skin and annoy you until you hit out, and then boom, next thing you know, you're sent off. Um, Simon, I believe you saw some of this match as well. What would you make of it? Do, do you agree with that assessment that there wasn't all that much in it aside from the goal? and that Nacional will probably do pretty much the same thing in, in advancing from this tie? Yeah, no, in terms of this game, I mean, it was two teams. You know, they, they, were, they were organized. They were both tough, but you know, it wasn't the highest in terms of quality. Obviously, the Uruguayans would be very happy to come away from the game uh, with an advantage away in Brazil. Tampa Coenci, you know, the fans are always very passionate there. Um, they, they, you know, they, they put on a good performance. Disappointing as well to get the cards. There's two suspensions for the next leg which is tough. So you would think the Uruguayans will see the job out at home. They always get passionate support there uh, in Uruguay. So, you know, I think Nacional will be firm favourites for this one. Unfortunate for Chapecoense. Maybe they can make something happen. They've sprung some surprises on us in the past with their committed play. Uh, so we'll see what happens. But you would say Nacional in the driving seat after the first leg. OK, um, moving on to Tuesday night's matches. Um First up, we've got Banfield 1, Independiente de Valle 1. Banfield took the lead in this one from the spot, and then at the death, Independiente de Valle equalised in their bright pink shirts, and that gave the 2016 finest a really good platform to progress in this one, you have to feel, for the second leg. No, lost him. Yeah, this was really tight. A tale of two penalties. Um, Banfield getting one in the 71st minute. That was pretty clear. A rocket shot from outside the box. That was pretty clearly handled by the Del Valle defender. I believe it was Ayala on that one. Uh, and then and then had stepped up and put the penalty away. He was big for Bonfield in, in you know, securing them a result in their first uh, domestic league game of, of the year and then did the same here to, to put them on top. And then just a, an interesting penalty call on, on that second one, on the, the second penalty of this match, the goal that led to the goal from Barreto for Del Valle. I think this is, is finally poised. I'll get Simon's opinion here on that penalty in a second. I think this, this is really finally poised. Uh, this is another tie 
Adam, we were talking earlier about how Olympia Junior could go to penalties. I would not be shocked to see each of these teams pull out a goal in the second leg in Ecuador and, and go to penalties as well. They feel pretty evenly matched. They feel like they play the same kind of style, and they're pretty much on the same level. Um, so I, I would call penalties for this one in that second leg. But, Simon, the penalty in this match, that second penalty, I know that was one that left you with your head shaking. Yeah, it's just such a such a silly penalty to give away. Um, again, in this game, I'll come to the penalty, but in the game overall, Independiente del Valle were very organized, uh, very solid defensive block. Banfield put, put forward a passionate, uh, a committed display. They put a lot of balls into the box. They had some efforts from distance, but... Overall, I think the defensive work from Independiente del Valle was very good. They weren't quite as effective on the counter as they have been in the past, and I think they'll be a little bit disappointed in that. But in terms of their defensive work, it was very, very impressive, and I think it kind of tells that the the two uh, game-deciding, the two important moments came as um, somewhat questionable penalty decisions. The first one, it was a handball. His arm was up, but he was very close to the to the to the striker shooting. Um, the the player blocked it. He jumped, you know, as if it was a he was in a wall of a free kick. You know, you can kind of often the referees will allow the player to cover their face, and, and his arm was covering his face when it hit him. So a tough decision, very close, very powerful shot that that did hit the player's arm. So for the first penalty, and then the second penalty, Independiente del Valle finally got around the side with a bit of pace, uh, pulled the ball across, and. It was a tug, it was a bit of contact, but the striker was nowhere really near the cross. So one of those really, really frustrating ones for the home side. Uh, going away with a 1-0 lead would have been pretty good, considering how well Independiente del Valle defended in the game. And while the Ecuadorians didn't have many chances, they got a little bit lucky. They had a good breakaway at the end of the game and they scored in the, the final minute. So I think it's an interesting game. I think... Independiente del Valle, again, as I say, defended really, really well. They did limit Banfield, who were on the ascendancy for much of the time. So I think it will be an interesting one. If Independiente del Valle can counter more effectively, um, then I think that will be the, the difference. They obviously have the away goal. It, it means that Banfield will have to score. And I think that may be the difference in the second leg. I think Independiente del Valle, if they have the opportunity to counter... Uh, at home with that support, you know, from the local support, I think that could be key. So an interesting game, definitely an intriguing tie going to the second leg. Um, impressive defensive work, uh, spirited home performance, good support in Argentina as always. Uh, and then a couple of potentially dodgy de- penalty decisions um, made the difference. Yeah, I think I agree with you, Simon. Um Important to note, too, the altitude there for the Valle could play a role in that second leg. I think that could also maybe just tip it in their favor. Um, if I had to pick between the two sides, I think I might pick them. But but again, penalties wouldn't really surprise me. I could see Bonfield maybe grinding out a goal and then kind of hanging on and, and getting that tie to penalty. Should be an intriguing second leg, though. It, it, it's really well poised. Another tie that is well poised going into the second leg featured the Primera B side from Chile, Santiago Wanderers who finished 1-1 with Peruvian side Melgar in their first leg. An early goal for Wanderers, and then Melgar's Bernardo Cuesta getting one back right before halftime. Adam, I know that you watched this one closely. Uh, a, a decent performance for the Chilean side, though they maybe could have come away from this match with more? 
Yeah, I, I think they're. I think they're probably frustrated that they're not taking um, at least sort of a two-one lead to Arequipa with them. It was a. It was a dream start for the Chilean second-tier side with Rafael Viotti, a player I picked out last week on the pod as one to watch. He he finished off a nice sweeping move. Good work from Mati, Mati Fernandez down the down the right. He gave the left back Loyola all sorts of problems um, in this game, and and I felt that if if they had well they did try and exploit it, but a lack of composure um, in in the final third and and a couple of sort of unlucky finishes. Viotti hit the bar as well at one 0 Meant that you know they they didn't they didn't quite capitalise enough. On the, on the shaky Melgar defence. And just before half-time, the, uh, the Peruvians managed to level it up. An error in the middle of the park. Um, saw Bernardo, Bernardo Cuesta, a, a player that really failed here in Chile last year playing for Huachapato. He was pretty poor every time I saw him. He, he surprised me when I saw that he was suddenly racing through on goal when he took very coolly lobbed over the goalkeeper and you know, and I was wondering well where was that guy uh, last year for Machapato but yeah he, he stuck that chance away well to level things up here um, although he did miss a sitter a few minutes a, f- a few minutes later um, so yeah uh, it, it was it was a it was a strange game because once it was 1-1 Melgar had a couple of chances as well you know that chance I just mentioned but Cuesta missed, and also they hit the bar too. I think that might have been Cuesta too, actually, who hit the woodwork from a, a shot crumb cross. Um, and yeah, I think uh, I think in the end though, Wanderers will be frustrated that they're they're not they're not taking a lead with them up to Peru because you know they were certainly on top for that last sort of 20, 30 minutes of this match. And yeah, but the away side were clearly happy with the one-one, and and they and they will take that back with them. Um, to Arequipa next week and you've probably got to make them favourites to, to go through in this one now with that, with that home advantage I think um, yeah, I, I think Wanderers have probably blown their chance to be honest and their main chance came in that sort of opening 20-30 minutes of this game because I think if they had gone 2-0 up you could have seen maybe Melgar collapse one other thing I wanted to mention about this game was uh was there was a constant issue with the corner flag throughout the th- throughout the first half? Uh, it was eventually sorted out with a man with a new corner flag and a hammer who managed to get it back in place eventually. So to the relief of everybody watching and and in the stadium. But yeah, it was a it was a, it was probably a fair result in the end. I I would say um, I think. Uh, I, I think there are some weaknesses there that Wanderers could potentially exploit in the in the second leg, especially if uh, Loyola plays again at uh, left back. Uh, um, you know, Matty Fernandez. That's not the famous one, by the way. This is a 22-year-old winger who's impressed at times, but Lo- Loyola made him look like a world beater the other night, and he's certainly not that. So, so yeah, you never know. But like I say, you. Got to make the Peruvians' favourite for a second league. No, Austin? I'm going with Santiago Wanderers here just because I watched Melgar last year and they weren't very good and I didn't think they were very good on the night. 
the finish from Quest, as you said, was, was really classy, but then he also had some really poor finishing as well. So I'll take Santiago Wanderers. In, can it be an upset if, if one team is... I don't know. Neither of these teams are very good. I don't think either of these sides will make the group stage. But it's time... I, I'm with Simon's Uber driver. It's time for some good things to happen to Chilean football. And it's going to start with Santiago Wanderers from the second division. There you go. Yeah. I don't know. Last but not least, well... Well, to least, be fair, probably least, definitely least. <laughs> we have uh, Karabovo 1, Guarani Neil. Um, I'm not going to pretend I know anything about what happened here, Austin. So, uh, so please tell me. Oh, actually, we were discussing pre-pod. I do know one thing, because I saw a tweet about it. And it was that Karabovo were forced to play this game. 500 kilometers away from their home city of Valencia in the state of Carabobo to Merida, which is like the other side of the country. So, yeah, um, that certainly didn't help them, I don't think. Um, I'm sure you're going to tell us the reason why, Austin, and also the story of this match. I mean, look, when usually on these podcasts, we like to go chronologically because it just makes it easier to kind of organize the games and everybody's on the same page. Uh, but when we take the first match of the week and we stick it at the very end of the podcast, I mean, you know what the storyline is. I didn't think we were even going to get a goal in this match. That's kind of the quality of it. Carabobo won Guarani nil. I don't know, maybe a bit kind to Carabobo. I didn't think they were demonstrably better. Um, a, a cross that was sent across the 18-yard box that Del Pino got ahead to, to to put it in the back of the net about 20 minutes in. And then Guarani were reduced to 10 men about a half an hour in. And then I think the Potawayan side did pretty well in this match to, to keep it at one goal. Carabobo, I thought, had a couple of chances where they could have extended that advantage. And that's probably what will cost them in the second leg. All things considered, not a terrible result for Guarani. Obviously, you don't want to be, be down and especially having not scored an away goal. They're, they're kind of sitting on the edge here. But I do think that, that that they can pull it out in this second leg back at home in Asuncion. This this was just a match of poor quality on a lot of different levels. Uh, Tovar, the Colombian striker for Carabobo, in particular, I thought finished poorly in this match. He had a couple of chances that really Carabobo could have not necessarily put this tie away, but could have headed to Asuncion with, with a bigger advantage than they will be. And that's just one goal for them. Um, Guarani down to 10 men for over an hour, and they just really weren't able to, to take advantage of that. So Guarani is, I think, will still come out of this tie in the second leg. Um, maybe 2-0, I think, is probably the scoreline I'd go for. Could see it going to penalties. Uh, we've said that about a couple of these ties now. A lot of them are really finely poised, but boy, this was not a great match. It was not terribly thrilling. And, and Adam, if you're, if you're looking for a tie to, to schedule a class for next week, I think your number one option is Concepcion Vasco, obviously, uh, and your number two option is this one. Yeah, indeed. I, I certainly won't be making the mistake of scheduling one for Pachera Santa Fe again. Uh, that's uh, that's in vogue now, I think. Yeah, it's it's their tie. It's it's great. We're gonna get five goals again next week, and then I'm gonna cut this segment segment of the pod, and I'm gonna put it on Twitter again. You go ahead. Um, okay, I think it's time um, to go round the virtual table now and, and do our plugs. Um, to be honest, I imagine everybody who listens to us knows where to find you on Twitter, but please, guys, tell us anyway. Simon, you first. 
Yeah, on Twitter at Simon Edwards SAF, doing some young player profiles and the Colombian league season starts this weekend. Uh, it may have already started when you hear the podcast, but it's it's all go in Colombia. So that'll be interesting. Teams are finalising their squads, um, naming the final transfers that they're making and, and getting ready to kickstart the season. So I'll do a bit of coverage on the Colombian League and some interesting Colombian youth players on my Twitter. Yeah, the, the Chilean League uh, gets started this weekend as well. So if, if you want to keep up to date with that, then follow me at Adam Brandon uh, 84 Austin, I come to you. Anything to plug? Uh, yeah, a couple of scouting spotlight pods that should hopefully be out by the time that this podcast comes out. Uh, we've got Gustavo Scarpa, who just moved to Palmetas, and we've also got Edda Militel, uh, a fullback for, for Sao Paulo, who's had some pretty good performances since, to start this year, and, and is another one of, of a really young set of players at Sao Paulo that have been fairly successful, at least individually, even though the club maybe hasn't. Uh, I'm at Austin underscore James 906 on Twitter. Uh, the Brazilian State Leagues march on. We've got a derby in Sao Paulo this weekend. Palmeiras Santos, Lucas Lima against his former side. Palmeiras have won four of their first four, so I'm intrigued by that match. Um, and then Libertadores action, another full slate next week with, with a lot of ties that are, I think, in a really good position. Uh, so I look forward to, to following those as well. So should be good. Uh, and I'm, I'm calling a wrestling match tomorrow, but, but not that type of wrestling, which I, I'm disappointed to say. So... I don't know. If you're into that, too, add Austin underscore James 906 on Twitter. You never know what you'll get. I think I'll be giving that a wide berth. No offense, mate. Anyway, we will... Uh... It's okay. It's okay. <laughs> if I wasn't getting paid, I'd probably do the same. Okay. Uh, I, th- I think we will end the podcast there. It's um, As ever, it's just left to say a big thank you to Austin and Simon for joining me on this pod tonight here at the World Football Index to discuss um, another exciting round of action in in the world's greatest club competition. And it's also a big thank you to you, the listeners, for downloading or streaming this pod once again. Um, Every little helps, so if you could rate and review us on iTunes, that'd be great. If not, then just give us lots of retweets and compliments on Twitter instead. That will also help. Anyway, it's time to say goodbye. So, goodbye. (laughs) Thank <laughs> you.